0: And I'll let you
1: <clears throat> hang on, and we'll we'll get it started. <laughs> All right. So go ahead.
0: Okay. So what I've noticed is it takes different forms. So you you know it'll be like um you, you know it'll be like oh uh, I'm, I'm 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 oh there's doubt oh oh hello doubt nice to see you again no problem hey, stay as long as you like you know well we can be present now. Um, And then, you know, after that happens, right, it's like it's like something else happens and then something else happens. And there's like there's variations. I don't remember, like if you remember, Joe, of what we were all saying, but it was like there's variations of how it'll like kind of come back to like to get you not get you. But, you know, it'll it'll come back to kind of like trap you in the same kind of um, trap that you were able to get free of but in a different way. So like, if it's like, Oh, Oh, no problem. Okay. That's all right. I I see you. That's all right. And then, okay, freedom. Okay. Got it. I I overcame that one. And then it comes back as like, I I can't think of it right now, but (laughs) what I've noticed, what I've noticed is that, um, I've been able to be pretty consistent with that throughout the whole day, no matter how much I doubted, no matter how much I was afraid, no matter how much I was, you know, not believing anything I was saying, I was able to take it and spin it around, um, to kind of, to, to, to just be here present in, in in this moment. And what I've noticed is that, um, the more and more I bring my, like, I, the more and more I come to being present again, all that other stuff kind of is like less significant. The significance of it starts to drop away. So it becomes easier to notice things like doubt or irritation or frustration. Those things get kind of like smaller and maybe a little bit more of like a flicker rather than like, oh, there's this big looming doubt. And it, it mm-hmm. becomes something that I could just like, oh, okay, yeah, good. Take a seat. That's fine. I'm just going to be – I'll be over here being present. You do your thing. We're good. Mm-hmm. And But when I was done, when I got out of work today, um, I went I, – I started cooking dinner with my girlfriend. And I noticed all the things she was asking me were just irritating me. There was just irritation. There was irritation. Irritation. And as and I did the same thing. I was like, ah, oh, I see you irritation. But I noticed it wasn't working as well as it was when I was alone in this room at work mm-hmm. today. I don't know. Like at work, there's there's a lot of quietness. I was alone. So when I brought her into the mix, it became more difficult to, you know, have that conversation with myself and mm-hmm. and to also just bring myself back
1: to being present. So congratulations for recognizing that.
0: Ah, okay.
1: The Buddha talks about it. In fact, that there is an analogy that he gives. And one of the things about this particular analogy is, is that he owns this one. And he doesn't own a lot of the others. In other words, a lot of the teachings of the Buddha came from the society that he was already in. Um and um for instance the Four Noble Truths comes from Ayurvedic Medicine about what is the illness, what's the cause of the illness, what is the medicine for the illness, and what is the recovery of the illness. Those are those things were in Ayurvedic medicine predating the Buddha. Words like nibbana and arahat were also commonly used words in the time of the Buddha. The word arahat only means one who is worthy of respect and worthy of gifts. And the word nibbana means coolness. But we take those words in West, add a flavor of Christianity to them, put some magic dust on it, tell a fairy tale or two, And that's what we have for Western Buddhism. Okay, so congratulations for being able to see this stuff while you're dealing with your girlfriend. So the analogy that the Buddha gave, which he owned, and says, this is one that I've come up with. And that I use the phrase so that it's easy to remember, a log in the bog, I've been from South Carolina where you have this PD PD swamp and the fox uh, swamp fox and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty familiar with, with real swamps. And the cypress trees will fall into the swamp quite often and become waterlogged, and as they waterlog, they sink. Okay, so the log and the bog. Now the question is, according to the Buddha. Can that log that's in the bog get set on fire? Now, in the time of the Buddha, there were actually fire-making professionals. They had the the technique, and they would go around to get hired to come and start a fire. So they knew how to do it. They had fire making equipment. Now we have fire making equipment. It's a lighter or a pie chat or um, you know, uh the lighters in the cars. It's very easy to get things hot now because of technology. But in the time of the Buddha, it took expertise to do it. But even the expert, can he light that log on fire that's in the bog? Submerged completely? The answer is no. He cannot light that fire, that uh, log on fire, but they can take the log out of the bog, bring it up on the shore, and get it out of the bog. Now can it be lit? What do you think? Yeah, Well, actually, no, because the log is still waterlogged. <laughs> That's what they call about waterlogged. That's what we mean by waterlogged, is is that the log, even though it was getting in the water and became waterlogged, when it comes out, it's still dripping wet, not able. But if you leave the log in the sun for a period of time, the gravity will pull the water downwards and the sun will uh, evaporate it. And so there soon will become an area of the log that can be set on fire yes Mm -hmm. okay this is actually the analogy that we have about practicing a meditation we do need to get away from it we need to get into seclusion we need to get the mind out of the bog yeah so that we can uh, uh let us say do the digging out that needs to be done so one by the way this that I'm talking about is the way that ancients, and still happens, that this is how they build a um, a dugout canoe. They take the log and get it, or actually they'll take a log that's already completely wet. And then by drying it out, they can start a fire along the top of the log, and the fire goes down and they chip it out so that now the log is no longer waterlogged, and you can sit in it, you can put that log back into the bog, and now it's a boat. Now it's a canoe. Now it will float because it's mm. been dried out and emptied out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now, now it's good for transportation. Before, who wants that old log that's in the bog? It's got no value when it's waterlogged. Maybe it would be only a value because it can be dried out. Mm-hmm. So this is the analogy that the Buddha has about the mind. This is one of the reasons, or this is the, the, the story behind, go to the forest, go to an empty hut, go to a pile of straw, or go to a tree, and sit to be alone for a while, to get away from the world, to get away from everyone else, so that we can deal with only the crap that we brought into the room with us. Yep, we don't have to deal with the crap that's already in the room. We've gotten away from that, okay? So this is the whole point about dealing with the girlfriend. You can see this because she is um the water that is your your uh uh weighing you down with her with her wet. And so um rather than blaming her for it, the better thing to do is to recognize that we need some space. We need to get away from other people. And this was the uh, uh, the idea behind retreats. Well, What's here's this? the thing.
0: Just to like rebuttal that for a minute. I came out of a uh, seven-hour workday where I was alone in this room. Okay. <laughs> so I was alone for pretty much the whole day. And I came out, and that's how it was. Now I didn't—I don't blame her. For, I mean, I could see like how I was blaming her, but I could see that it was—it was, it was all—it was the arrows coming at me. That's what it was—the arrows coming well, at me. Well, it
1: was questions.
0: It was questions. Yeah, but, but they you know, were you, remember, you like arrows. You remember you and I were talking about it yesterday about how the arrows? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Remember. It it wasn't anything she was saying. It's what she was triggering, which was already
1: in me. That's exactly correct. Exactly. So she was triggering you. And this is the whole idea about getting into seclusion is so that we can see those triggers inside of our own mind and kind of tape over those triggers or let us say, find where our buttons are and disable of them, or maybe put a, uh, a label on them say, do not press this button or something like that. So this is the um, the work that we have to do in seclusion, but you can go back to music on this that a young child who is practicing his piano in order to go to the piano lesson, the one thing that he does not want is he does not want mommy in the room while he's practicing the piano.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. That's exactly how it was, too. Because I noticed I felt very, very safe today. I felt very safe and secure being by myself. And I, I can't say that I feel that very often. So that is a huge success. I felt exactly very correct, safe mm-hmm. and secure. And I was, I was, I was doing, I was like, Oh, hello. Oh, that's all right. No problem. No problem. I'm just gonna, I get to be present now. But I noticed mm-hmm. that when I came outside and I started like chopping the onions and she was asking me a question and I noticed I got irritated and I started to do the same thing. It was like, Oh, hello, irritation. I noticed that at the same time, there was this other voice that was like, she's going to think you're silly. You can't do that. It made it like 10 times harder, twice as hard to have that private kind of uh, rigorous um, um, attention on myself.
1: Congratulations for seeing that. Yeah. Because this is the standard part of the way that the teaching is done and, and, um, many of the students don't recognize the value of the seclusion, that we really do have to get away from it all so that we can see that we didn't get away from it at all. We brought it with us when we got away from it all. (laughs) So let me ask you, I
0: mean, if I come out of seclusion and go be with her, but I find that that's still happening, what are you suggesting?
1: I would suggest that you start – Oh, gosh, how how, am I going to say it? Because I'm already doing this. She is going to, you can count on that she's going to be asking you questions and that you have already had the idea that when you're in seclusion, you can really get yourself into a state of uh, contentment and peace and quiet. Well, guess what? You couldn't do that when you were with her. But when you get alone in seclusion, you can do that. You can practice it. Right. So what that means now is, is that we can move back and forth between seclusion and the crowd and get ourselves into a state of comfort and, and, um, uh, security and safety, and then go test that. How long can I feel safe and secure now? If you get to the point of feeling, say, unsafe and insecure because you're around someone who is asking you a lot of questions, one of the things that you can do is you can set down that onion and set down that knife and say, I've got to go to the toilet and get out of the room and go get a minute of seclusion and get (laughs) away from it. Well, I actually did
0: that for a little bit. I went back into this room while I was cooking, and I I, I had a little conversation with myself. I was like – Hey, 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 I see you. You're all here. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. You got me. You got me. What do you what do you want from me now? Huh? I surrender. But I it surrender. Didn't,
1: it didn't get you. <laughs> it just came back for a visit. Came back for it's, a visit. Okay. Um, it's very much like they don't have them too much anymore, but maybe not. I don't know. I've never had a problem with with this. But let's talk about it in the sense of the bill collector comes to the door. Why is it that so many people are afraid of going to talk to the bill collector? That in fact, we become afraid to talk to the bill collector. But if we would go and talk to the bill collector, we may be able to talk him into not doing what he came to do. Mm-hmm. But if we don't talk to him because we're afraid of him, then we give him all he needs to go do what he was going to do. It, it, but most of the time, what the bill collectors do is they come knock on the door, and when nobody answers, they just they just leave. That in fact, um, the problem is, is that if we don't deal with the bill collector when he comes, mm-hmm. he's going to come back with the sheriff. And now you have to deal with it. Yep, exactly. So, to your point, deal with it. And so, what we can say is we can go and deal with this stuff happily and joyfully if we can bring into this new moment the happiness, the joy, and the um, uh, security that we felt while we're in seclusion. And we come into the world with the attitude. I can handle this. Yeah, if I so can feel safe and secure in seclusion, then I can also feel safe and secure while I'm dealing with the things that used to terrify me. Yeah,
0: so to your point
1: then, because it's not like my
0: practice stopped, right? Like when I left the room, when I left my seclusion and started getting ready food and we were working together on that and Um, we were talking which by the way it's not even just questions it's i noticed it's even just any engagement with her or with someone it takes like I'm, i'm i'm actually noticing oh wow i wasn't even being present in that conversation and now i'm starting to notice when i'm talking to her i can notice what i'm noticing when i'm by myself like oh, I get to be present again while I'm speaking to her or while she's speaking to me. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that I feel like I don't have as much agility or as much time, right? Because I'm learning this, this is new, um, to have those moments, those intimate moments with myself. um, I, I can't have as many of those intimate moments with myself where I'm like, oh, you get to be present now. Or oh the irritation. Actually, that's not true. I'd actually say I'm still having I'm still having those moments. I'm still doing all that stuff. I'm still having those, you know, those reminders go off in my brain. But they don't seem to be as effective.
1: That's the thing. Well, here's the point. It's not that it's effective or not effective. It's that you want it to be better. You still have that greed inside that you're wanting to have it improving rather than allowing what's going on right now to be okay. Mm. That when Mm. you do feel safe and secure, then things are okay. That in fact, we want improvement because the state that we're in is not good enough. And so we're practicing being in the state of not good enough. The practice of Anapanasati is the practice of being in a state of satisfaction that what's happening right now is good enough. Hmm. Hmm. And so instead of practicing to get more, you can practice to be satisfied without more. And I, I know I,
0: I, I think it's so great that you're saying that because the thing is is today in in my seclusion, I felt a lot better with all the practice that I was doing than when I left it and I went to go be with my girlfriend and start cooking and stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's a mind trip, right? Because here you are, you're getting all this great, all this great feelings, great practice, great state, right? And then you go off and do something else and it changes. It
1: changes. Mm -hmm. Well, come on. I don't everything constantly changes. Everything Everything is in flux. Everything is in flux. And the question then is, is that can you create a situation where very little is changing by taking the log out of the bog? So that you can deal with letting it drain out. I mean, you can think of it from the log's perspective. Thank you very much for pulling me out of the log, or out of the bog, but damn it, I'm still wet. No, it's going to take a while to let things dry out, but the drying out process is the being satisfied with the process rather than wanting the process to be completed. Remember that we were talking about this last time when we were talking about the difference between having a house of cards built versus having the skill of being able to build a house of cards. Yeah, exactly. If you have, So the whole idea then is the skill building, not the result, or we're very process-oriented yeah right okay right. rather than result oriented Western mentality is completely result oriented
0: yeah, or in other words, we had also said that you're developing the skill of winning rather than de- de- rather than developing a winner rather than being a right. winner you're developing the skill of winning and mm-hmm. I actually was going to ask you I was going to ask you to elaborate and talk more about that tonight if you can, because I noticed that um while winning is while while feeling great and having those moments of success is awesome it's not the important part the important part is to be able to replicate those moments the mm-hmm. important part is to be able to build those moments from nothing and i'm starting to see that because that's what that's all we have every moment it's it starts over it starts over again and again and again and again and again and again and yes. if, if Never you mind start if, again yes and if you have your process so amazing so great well then it doesn't matter how many moments you ever you have to start again because
1: you know you can do it well, so the starting again is actually skill development yeah. So, can you talk to never, can you talk to us a little mind. bit about that? Yes. What, the never mind is, is yeah. the never. Big um, has a very famous phrase that he uses, starting from the very beginning, uh, with the with the breathing. He says it like this: that when the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind. Start again repeat that phrase when the mind wanders away from the breath never mind start again now he's doing that within a context we can say that any time that the mind wanders away into despair anxiety unhappiness irritation uh, irritation or (laughs) feeling unsafe because someone's asking us questions instead of dwelling on the situation Goanka invites to never mind what's going on. This is the way that I'm talking about it in the sense of making friends with that stuff. Because the beginning meditator, when he catches the mind wandering away from the breath, the natural tendency is he doesn't like it because he had the idea, he had the, um, uh, the instruction, and he thought that he could follow the instruction. In other words, everyone thinks that they own their own mind. And I can think what I want to think. And if I want to watch the breath, then I can watch the breath. And so this is a very, very big wake-up call for the beginning meditators to recognize, no, your mind is completely out of control. That you don't control it. That that's the whole point of the practice here is let's learn to start adding some control in here and that uh, the... uh, actually most useful and valuable way of thinking about that is, is that the way that we're going to learn to control the mind is by having wholesome thoughts rather than unwholesome thoughts. And Alex, you begin to understand that most of the thoughts that you have are unwholesome about things that need to be done, things that uh, uh, are interfering with what you want and all kinds of stuff like that. But wholesome thoughts are the kind of thoughts that say everything right now is okay. Everything is satisfactory. I do feel safe. And guess what? That's the reality. The reality is, is that both of you are right safe right now. There are no gorillas. There are no pythons. There are no alligators. There are no crocodiles. There are no uh, uh, SWAT teams coming in. So why is it? that we're in a safe environment and still feel unsafe. Then, in fact, you could go so far as to say that in the old, old days, way back when, 100,000, 300,000 years ago, humans felt unsafe because they lived in the savannah, they lived with lions, you could get eaten. That was even true in the time of the Buddha that they lived in dangerous places. Western society has been built up so that everybody is more or less safe all the time, and yet no one feels safe. That, in fact, much of the feeling of being unsafe is what causes the danger. Here's an example of that. I'm sitting here, and I feel really safe and secure, thinking about my uh, favorite football team. And then the phone rings and somebody calls and says, your football team is terrible. And to now I don't feel safe anymore. Where in fact, I don't own that football team. Doesn't matter whether somebody else thinks it's terrible or not. That's not my problem. But we own things as if we, uh, thought that, oh, if something bad happens to that football team, then something bad happens to me also to where in fact, no, something can happen bad to the football team, but it doesn't affect you. You're still okay, mm-hmm. but it's only our identification and attachment to those things, which makes us feel insecure because everything is in turmoil. Every football team wins and loses. Any political party that you associate with will win some and lose some, and if you identify with that political party, when they win some, you're okay with that, but when they lose, you feel bad. And so you go from about an okay or let us say zero down to a negative feeling, back to zero, and then a negative feeling, and only rarely do we feel really good. So is there anything more you can say about how we can continue
0: to develop the skill, the skill, the skill of winning, the skill of having wholesome thoughts, the skill of, yes, of success?
1: Yes, yes, yes. And that is to be satisfied with the skill development that you already have developed and are developing. <laughs> okay. And this is how we're. This, this is what we're practicing. We're practicing to feel satisfied. That uh, when I used to talk about it to to say joy, many of the students would say, well, I feel joy, but it's not enough. I want to feel even more joyful. Yeah. yeah. That means that even though they are satisfied and they do feel joy, they're still not satisfied. They want more. Yeah and yet sukha is not about uh, necessarily just joy but but really sukha is about um uh, being free from being dissatisfied which means that we are actually satisfied and so cultivating the feeling of satisfaction is one of the primary goals if there is a goal but in fact here's here's something let me say it this way Imagine that you wanted to play or the young child wanted to learn to play the piano. He gets the piano. He gets music books. He gets a teacher and has his first lesson. And now he's got a week to go before his next lesson. He spends his whole week playing video games and football and maybe even the violin. Is that going to help him practice the piano? Is it going to help him in his lesson, his piano lesson? No. What is going to help him in his piano lesson is is that he practices the piano. This is an important point because how can you develop the skill of satisfaction if you're not practicing the instrument of satisfaction? How can you practice the instrument of dissatisfaction, thinking that that's going to develop the skill of satisfaction? This is an important point that you recognize that you can, in fact, get yourself, air how small it is, a satisfaction, get satisfaction, a tiny little bit of satisfaction, and then spend time with that to keep saying, yeah, this is good enough. Yeah, I can handle this. Uh, yeah, no... yeah. Over and over again, we're developing that skill of satisfaction. You know, it's really it interesting. interesting. I
0: um, I wanted to say that I today went. Sorry, Don Marato, I didn't mean to cut cut off the rest of
1: what you said. Do you want to continue? Yes. Okay. That's that's a good catch. Good. <laughs> Congratulations. So, satisfaction is um, a major element of the teaching of the Buddha, but we miss that in um, the West because we don't properly understand the language that the Buddha was speaking in. But in Pali, Sukha is an exact opposite of Dukkha, just like anonyms, you know, like off and on or up and down. Sukha and Dukkha are opposites of each other. That's also true in the Thai language. They have uh, duke and Suk in Thai. And I've also had a student who um, has enough of his parents' language of Gujarati to know that even in the Gujarati language, you, they have duki and suki, which are actually opposites. So if the teaching of the Buddha is dukkha, dukkha, naroda, that's another way of just saying dukkha, sukha, that when you're in a state of satisfaction, you're not in a state of dissatisfaction. So that's basically all there is to the teaching of the Buddha is just get satisfied with what's happening. Just to practice. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, Do you... um... I don't ever hear you
2: uh, mention like the Brahma Viharas. Do you consider those like skills to be developed as well? Or are they a natural thing that results as a result of the practice of satisfaction?
1: Actually, yes, that's a good point. The Brahma Viharas are not skills to be developed. Brahma Viharas are the natural outcome of correct practice of things that do need to be developed. Okay. What is that? Which means, uh, sorry, okay, the Brahma, I don't know what that the, is. The Brahma Vihara, the word Vihara actually means, you've heard the word heart. There's the word har, Hara, and Vihara means in. So that basically, what we mean by the Vihara is the home. And then, in fact, in Sri Lanka, the wad is called the Vihara, which means the home of the monk. So we're talking about being at home. Now, the Brahman, uh, the Western idea of Brahman is uh, Brahman is that it is the god itself or the creator. And so Western Buddhists will talk about it, the home of the gods. A much better way of looking at it is from the position of the caste system, in the sense that the Brahmins are the high-class people. So what we mean by the vihar is it's the home of the high-class mind. That's the definition of the word Brahma. It's not the home of the gods. It's just the home of a high-class mind. That we don't have to get magical and add gods to it, but we can bring it to the level of what we can get. Okay, so the brahma Biharas is now a group of four items. The four items are in Pali, Karuna, Mudita, Karuna, um, uh, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, and Opeka. And that um, basically these four practices, the Brahma Viharas, and especially it goes by the word of of Metta as the the primary word. This was a practice that was already practiced in the time of the Buddha. And in fact, there are suttas to where the people who were practicing the Brahma Viharas had conversation with the monks And the monks didn't know how to answer them, so they came back to the Buddha, and the Buddha was pointing out that there are limitations to the Brahma-Biharas, that it's not a complete practice, but not only that, but it's not really a practice at all, but that a lot of the stuff that is in the Brahma-Biharas is wholesome. So if we're practicing wholesomeness with a wholesome mind, then we automatically will deal with the world in a wholesome way and that we can think of metta as actually friendship. But friendship then is goes two ways. We have uh, the concept is, is that Ananda went to the Buddha after having a talk with Sariputta and he said that Sariputta has said that friendship is half the dhamma and the buddha says oh no friendship is all of the dhamma so in that regard that means that if we can come in and become consider- be safe and secure and friendly with ourselves then we can, by doing that training, and are completely secure and safe and friendly with ourselves, then we can go and be friendly with other people, even if they're not safe, not secure, and not friendly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and... there is a practice of metta, and the practice of metta generally has little phrases like, Uh, may all beings be happy, may all beings be free from suffering. And that's quite grandiose, and it's a conceptualization. For one thing, the people who are practicing that metta, who are saying may all beings be happy, are not happy when they're doing that. So may all beings, including me, be happy is just wishful thinking. It's not real. But, Having thoughts of happiness and spreading happiness is a wholesome thought. So the distinction between wholesome and unwholesome thoughts is that unwholesome thoughts are generally not real, and wholesome thoughts are generally real. This also has to do with the concept of affirmations. You see many, many, in fact, there's a whole library somewhere or another that's filled with uh, nonfiction books that are considered uh, self-help books. And these self-help books are filled with affirmations. But the affirmations then are not always correct or not, not always true, that you're supposed to talk yourself up to or talk yourself into something that's not true. So the teenage girl is there after she's read the book. She's looking in the mirror and she says, you're the most beautiful chick in the class. Everybody loves you. And then when she leaves that mirror after doing all those affirmations, when she goes to school, she didn't believe any of that. And so she's not actually the most beautiful girl in the class because that was just an affirmation that she said to herself. And she doesn't believe it. The same thing is true with, you've heard the example of, uh, the power of positive thinking. Well, the power of positive thinking is only powerful when the thinking that you're doing has some faction from reality into it. If the power of the positive thinking is, is positively wanting something that you don't have and it doesn't exist, then your power, then your, uh, power is limited and the positive thinking is temporary. Right? And so what we want to do with our positive thoughts is having real, genuine, happy thoughts about the fact is that you are safe. Alex, you are safe right now. Yeah. no dangers. You are safe right now. Why don't you take credit for that and be satisfied with the fact that you do feel safe right now? That's an affirmation, but it's also a reality because you actually are safe. And so when we talk about it like that, we can say that, yes, I'm reinforcing or I'm going in a positive direction about things that are actually true. If your metta is uh, qualified to do that, then that's real metta, but otherwise it's just affirmations and magical thinking. Another way of thinking about it from the magical perspective is metta is the natural outcome of correct practice. Mm-hmm. It itself is not a correct practice. Because if you, if you practice metta as a practice, you're doing affirmations, hoping things to be true that are not true. And so it can go on and on like that. Another one is the issue of compassion or karuna. In the West, the idea of compassion is is that you have to commiserate with someone. You have to have empathy (laughs) or sympathy for them. And the word sympathy means that you're going to vibrate with them in harmony, which means if you have a friend who is having a pity party, your compassion requires you to go join their pity party. And they want that. Misery loves company. Pity wants a party. The same thing is true about anger. When someone is angry, they want other people to be angry with them. But if you're full of joy, then naturally you want the joy to spread. And this is what the whole practice is really about is, is that our compassion has to be such that we are not dragged into the misery. Yeah, it's, it's not true. Compassion. Is that's not, well, that is compassion. That is the real compassion, but Karuna is not compassion. Karuna is to recognize the situation, to see the dukkha for what it is, but don't go spread it all over your body just to prove to the person that you suffer because they suffered. I also think there is another part
0: worth mentioning, though, in that you're not, not only are you not spreading it over your body, You're also not telling them, hey, keep spreading it over your body.
1: Yes, exactly. And which is where the mudita comes in. And I think that's like a true act of compassion. All right. Here's an example. Somebody, uh, you with another person are on a large fishing boat. This in swells and they just get washed overboard. What are you going to do? Compassion means you've got to jump overboard, too. They can't swim. Maybe you can swim a little bit. But if you ever tried to save someone who is drowning and you don't have the right techniques, they're going to take you down with them, which is exactly what right. happens. A much better right. thing is for you to stay on board ship and throw them a life preserver and yes. then to pull them in. Yes, we need to do that when people are having a pity party also is to throw them a biscuit, to throw them a lifeline and then to reel them back on board. Yeah. How do we do that? With joy. More joy, more happiness, more gladness. So when you see two, for instance, if 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 uh, mom and daughter are at each other, and what I mean by that is, is that the normal situation is mom gets angry at daughter, daughter starts to cry, mom gets angrier because the child is crying, the child cries even more, and that's just uh, that gets going. I mean, fear of the child uh, uh, invites attack. We've talked about that with dogs and other places like that, that the victim invites the torture by being the victim they become the target for it so if I'm all joyful in everything what I can do is I can tease them about it one's crying the other one is angry how am I going to deal with that by adding joy now normally what will happen is, is that we'll either take one side or the other like mom uh, I'll take her side and say kitty stop crying You're you're not supposed to cry or I can take mom's uh, daughter's side and say, mom, lay off a kitty. Don't bother her so much. She's already crying. But neither one of those work. But if you can do it joyfully, aha, I see the two of you going after each other again. Isn't that funny? I bet mom can smile at me while she's angry at the daughter. I bet daughter can look at me and and uh, be happy that I am can be happy and she doesn't have to be so afraid of mom. So this is a way we can look at it. This is Mudita, and it's often defined as sympathetic joy. Basically, it comes out of our instinct, the nesting instinct, which we get then as socialization. So it's the socialization instinct within you that wants you to commiserate and feel bad when somebody else feels bad that that's where compassion is, that it comes from ignorance. It comes from an instinct. But if we are already filled with joy and happiness and delight, then we can spread that joy, happiness, and delight to the people who are miserable. We can throw them that lifeline and then pull them back on board where they're not drowning in their own bad feelings. Woo! Once. Be- That's the way to do it, but we need to have our stability of being on board that ship that we're not going to let them with their life raft pull the life raft with me holding on to it and pull me overboard. No, we've got to stay in our uh, good state, which we got by being in seclusion. So we get ourselves into seclusion so that we can then practice to get the mind straightened out. Get all of this stuff out of the way, and now we can come back and deal with the world in that Brahma bahara high class, high minded way that we stay at home in joy. So, Dhammarado. Go ahead.
0: Is there a suggestion as to how long or frequent um, you recommend seclusion practice other than? The five to six seclusion sessions that you recommended to me in the beginning of our relationship. Start
1: with that. Start with that. Start with that. That's the way to begin to at least get five or six times a day, 10 minutes of seclusion, 10 minutes of joy building, 10 minutes of safety, security, 10 minutes of satisfaction. Yeah. Practice getting satisfied. Oh, I'm okay. Everything is fine. No work to do. No worries. No problems. No events. Nothing is going to happen. Yep. So when we get ourselves into that state of satisfaction, now when we go back into the world, we can do that with the intention of whoever it is, girlfriend or whatever, she cannot destroy my feeling of satisfaction.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh, I wanted to tell you, I wanted to actually both of you see what we have to say about this. So I'm noticing in what, like, as I've been cultivating more of like a baseline satisfactory state, when I go into the seclusion sessions, not only is it easier to focus on the breath, but it is much, much, much more enjoyable very, very quickly very quickly i can get into an easy enjoyable state with the breath
1: and what i'm starting to see I, That's like, a skill I, to dan, be developed exactly and, that's mentioned how easy is it is for you to get out of your crap into a state of satisfaction keep yeah, practicing and, that over and over again
0: okay and dan you know he says you know trust your seeing so what i've what i've been seeing is that the breath is just a, it's just a vehicle. It's just like a tool that you're using to an get anchor. you to, or an anchor to get you to see and fully be in, in the present moment, I think. Yes, because, that's exactly right. Okay. Okay. Because what I'm noticing is when, when I close my eyes, it gets to a point mm. where I, I, I'm not following the breath anymore. It's more like the breath is just happening and every moment is so close together that there's no differentiation between up and down, up and down, like in and out breath. It's just just every moment after the other. It's like every moment is just as lucid as the other. So it's like this this moment, this moment, this moment, this moment, this moment, this moment, this moment. But there's no differentiation in the moments because that differentiation Previously was an interpretation.
1: Okay. It was an interpretation now some, of the. Here's something that we can go for, though. And that is, is that. The in-breath and the out-breath are moments to develop the skill of sati. And we want to develop sati so that it happens and that it happens and that it happens. What sati happens again? Over Remember? Over and over again, the waking up. So we can use that waking up as uh, breathe, for the breathing to wake up enough to know that this is an in-breath and it's going to be a long in-breath. And then to wake up that this is an out-breath and that it's a long out-breath. Don't let them kind of mix together because that means that you're not uh, paying attention with the sati. What we're actually developing, and I can say it like this, the number one skill to be developed is the uh, the skill of Sati, to wake up, to remember, to come back to here now over and over again. And the easy way to understand that is, is that it doesn't matter what skill you have. In a wide variety of different kinds of skills, no skill is of any value if the guy who has that skill doesn't remember that he can do that skill. If he forgets the skill, He's of no good. So the karate master who can take down anybody, all of a sudden, because of his own particular thing, like he's afraid of ghosts, all somebody has to do is to dress up like a ghost, and he, lo- he forgets all of his uh, uh, kung fu. Tati is the number one skill to be developed. Now, uh, right view comes first because we have to have the ability to investigate as well. So uh, the, to wake up and to investigate. So if we apply that to the breath, that means that we're waking up to investigate, is this a long, deep breath? To wake up, investigate, is this a long, deep out breath? And so we want to continue to work with the breathing because there's going to be a whole lot of time during that in-breath and out-breath because if we slow the breathing down, then that means that that in-and-out-breath cycle took about 10 seconds. That's enough for 100 mind moments. That means 100 things are going to happen, and we're only asking two of them, two out of 100 mind moments, one mind moment Long deep in breath, another mind moment, long deep out breath. And we keep every 10 seconds, we'll have one mind moment of this is going to be a long deep in breath. So that we begin to make the breath the breath, a friend and a companion and a life-giving force. To remember to breathe means that you're also remembering that you're alive. And so uh, it's very common for the meditator uh, to kind of let the breath kind of go. And this is actually the way that Western Buddhism and modern Western teachers talk about the breath. Oh, we'll just be mindful of the breath, but don't try to control it. Just let it roll on. And that's not the teaching of the Buddha. The teaching of the Buddha most specifically says mindfully take a long, understanding that you're taking a long, deep in-breath and understand, mindfully understand that you're taking a long, deep out-breath. Now the verb here is understand, to mindfully understand that this is a long, deep in-breath and to mindfully understand or to see that this is a long, deep outbreak. Those are the only places where the verb is understand. In every other place in the Anapanasati Sutta, the verb is thus one trains oneself, or he trains this way. So the training then, or the skill development, or the practice is now the the verb. But for the long in-breath and long out-breath, you don't need to train to do that because you already know how to do it. All you have to do is to remember to do it. It's not a training. The training is in the sati, not in the breathing. So, However, all of the other things in Anapanasati are actually training things to do, like the training to wake up, the training to gladden the mind or to make the mind's wholesome thoughts. The training is, like we were talking before, the training in satisfaction, to get a little bit of satisfaction and then stay with that over and over and over again. That's the training, but we're training while we breathe in long and while we breathe out long. We're remembering to breathe in long and breathe out long, and that helps us, that remembering then, to remember the um, satisfaction. Oh, wow, this is so nice. So these things work together, but all of them have to do with training, the training of seeing a nature, the training of seeing the fading away is all, uh, part of the fourth Tetrad, but in the beginning, the training to feel the way that you want to feel the training to feel, uh, satisfied the training to feel like a winner or the, the training of the skill of winning.
0: So, yeah, Okay. 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 So when I, I may have, we may be using different words or ways of describing this, but I may be doing it exactly as how you're describing. So Mm -hmm. what I'm doing is when I have an in-breath, I will, what I do is I will do a long in-breath. And from the very beginning in my mind, I will say, I'm enjoying the breath right now. I'm enjoying Mm -hmm. the breath right now. I'm enjoying the breath right now. I'm enjoying the breath right now, throughout the whole in breath. And what I'll notice is throughout the in breath, I'll have moments flicker of like, oh, I wonder what that person thought about at work. Oh, wait, I am enjoying the in breath right now. I am enjoying the breath right now. Oh, wait, I wonder, wait, I gotta tell my girlfriend what we're having for dinner. Oh, 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 I'm enjoying the breath right now, right? And Mm so, and that's the same thing that we're doing when I'm noticing that I wasn't being present. Oh, irritation, okay, I can be present now. Oh, this, okay, I can be present now. So I'm seeing how they interact. So I am doing a long in-breath and then a long out-breath. And for the most part, I am noticing that I'm doing a long in-breath and a long out-breath. It, it. i am noticing that pretty much all
1: the way through uh-huh. joe what you got
2: uh, could i could i just point out that like your your breath is also there in your second example too uh that that you can still that you can take it with you then also you know that it doesn't have to be just noticing because it can be i find it to be really helpful to just ha- have awareness of the breath and also when you're saying uh I'm enjoying the the in breath to make sure that you're actually really enjoying. I mean, you probably are, but you know, just as a reminder that like, you can't just say it, but like, it's the feeling of enjoyment. That is the important
0: thing, you know? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've, I've caught that before too, where it's like, well, okay. It's getting, it's getting to be like business as usual. It's getting to be like going through the motions. Ah, okay. Let me enjoy the breath right now. Let me really enjoy it. So I just, the reason why I say that, why I say I'm enjoying the breath right now, Domerado, is because you said that we can have so many mind moments. So I say that so that I kind of keep myself on track and that if I, so that I'll notice if something is off, I'll notice if something mm-hmm. veers away from the breath.
1: I say Exactly. And right so, aha, uh-huh, I see that thought that's veering away from the breath is also joyful. Like, aha, I see you. Aha, I see you, Myra. That's gladdening the mind immediately. Okay. Okay. Aha, I see you. Because then, oh, no, there it comes again, which is not gladdening the mind at all. That's just being impacted by whatever it was that you saw it. And it doesn't even matter now whether you see it or not because it's got you. No, we need to wake up enough to see it so that when we do see it, we can immediately change the attitude or, or gladden the mind immediately. Okay. Yes. So, ah, I got that. And I don't have to think about that anymore. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I'm noticing.
0: It, very logically, it's great to be able to see it. Because in seeing it, you see that you can get right back to being present. Mm-hmm. It's your access to being present every time you see it. Oh, oh, that's great. I'm so glad yeah. you decided to show up. I can be present now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh huh. As opposed to what normally happens for the beginning student is, is that when the mind wanders away from the breath and they recognize that they want to punish themselves. Oh, monkey mind. Oh, this meditation is so hard. Oh, I don't know whether I'll ever get anything out about it. You know,
0: (laughs) I used to have a lot of that. I I mean, I do still sometimes, but less.
2: I was going to say, I still still have that sometimes. (laughs) I think that that one's a hard hard one to kick for westerners.
1: Well, it is. It, it is it is because that's the habit of yeah. the critical mind is going around finding problems, finding things that are wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And here we're doing it completely differently in the sense that when we see that stuff, we're 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 going to turn it into um like I say when the mind gives you a lemon just make it into lemonade. Ah, I see that. I see that lemon. Let's put some sugar on it, and we have a tasty drink. I had a, I had a really
2: funny. I had a really funny critical mind one the other day where uh, I, I, I was kind of having just a peaceful, and there there was there weren't many thoughts coming, and the criticism was like. You should be having more thoughts right now. Like you should be having some good, <laughs> wholesome thoughts, and there should be yeah. more. There should be more happening, because you're just sitting here. You're dull. You're just you're just sitting here with dullness. And and then you know, yeah, that was my critical Which mind. I'm like,
1: those, oh my right. god, those are the wholesome <laughs> critical thought, right? And and we're do, we're good at that. We have been critical of ourselves for years. We were taught to be critical of right. ourselves almost as a defense against an adult being critical of us. So we critical, we criticize ourselves in the hopes that that mollifies someone else criticizing us. This is exactly what we're talking about when we get the idea that when a child makes an apology, they're supposed to say they're sorry. Why? Because we have to be punished for what we're doing that's wrong. And if the child is already sorry, that means he has already punished himself and the adult doesn't have to do it. And so the child, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, which means don't beat me. Right? Well, that I'm sorry, I'm sorry now becomes a habit. So that every time that we see something in our own minds, we wind up not liking it. Oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake and whatever like that. And so that attitude of the loser is ingrained into every child. It's interesting. It, it almost, almost sounds. Like... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so the um, we are victimized as children. I mean, the baby is small. He, he he is not the king. He is not the guy who runs the, the show. He can barely even uh, move his hands. When we're little kids, the furniture is too big for us. When we're walking, we have to have our hand being held by the parent. They don't want to let go of us. In other words, we're property when we're little. We are a victim. We are raised as victim. When are you going to make the mental change from being a victim into being a winner or being in a champion or being, uh, on top. I don't even know what the opposite of the word victim would be. Uh, but, uh, Chris pearls had the concept of top dog, underdog. You were raised as an underdog. When are you going to allow yourself to be the top dog in your own dog fight? That's the whole thing, is can we change our mentality of, oh, poor me, what's going on? Who can I get to help me? And the Hot Dog, I can handle this. Don Marado, hot I was Dog, just... I can handle this. There's no problem here. We can do this. And so that's the attitude that we're developing. Yes. Don Marado, um, I
0: was curious if... um. You know, as I think you started to mention it, that as we start becoming more regularly satisfied and remember, and all of these parts start coming together, and we're more consistent with them, um, I think you started saying something about. I can't remember what it was, but you said there is something that comes after those foundations are in place.
1: Uh, I'm not sure which foundations are in place or of what you're mentioning. I'm not quite sure of what you're talking about. So like
0: important part is to make sure that we are let's get satisfied. Let's practice being satisfied. Let's let's talk ourselves into a good state. Let's get ourselves out of that negative self saboteur, you know, critical uh mind process and then then we can do something else and i didn't know what it
1: was you were saying have a ball uh, you didn't enjoy really... make it a toy <laughs> have fun right okay enjoy your life it was There dance. was something there's something else you
0: said you, you said something about like investigate or something i,
1: I don't know you, yes, you okay. said something well, that's, that that's a uh, we continue to investigate Ongoing investigation, ongoing looking, ongoing uh, coming back over and over and over again uh, to look at what's going on because things are changing on a regular basis. We always need to come back and investigate. You see, here's the point. When I. When I was um, really investigating the Dhamma, I came to the conclusion that something was missing in the sutras because I wanted the right, I could understand what, what wrong view was. I could understand what ordinary right view was, but I could not come to what was noble right view because I was looking for a noble concept or a noble right, in other words, this is right view. The real the real issue is is that no, it's not a viewpoint or a concept, but it is a constant coming back and reviewing and reviewing and re looking and re investigating rather than living on old concepts because everything is new, every moment is new. If everything is new and every moment is new, that means that we need to continue to look, to look. Yeah. Ent- investigate. Okay. This is what the real noting is about, except that when we are already in a state of, um, uh, let us call it persiana, where we do have that joy, satisfaction, etc. Now that means that what we are investigating and what are we noting is all wholesome, it's all real that in the beginning when we're doing our noting, we're noting uh, the problems or the dukkha, we're noting the hindrances. But when we're the mind is free from hindrances, now we're noticing really marvelous stuff. The reality of the situation, of how marvelous this moment is when I don't pollute it with my own garbage.
0: Guys, I gotta go. Uh, thank you so much. It was great to be with both of you. Um, I'll probably talk to you tomorrow or something, Demorado.
1: Okay. Well, we'll okay. see you again. So okay. today we've got this part of it is, is that uh, when you get the mind in a really good state, now what we're going to do is investigate what is real in a really wholesome way. In uh, well, other words, I we're going to investigate how is my sati. How is my investigation? How is my pity? How is my sukha? Do I feel satisfied? How satisfied do I feel right now? These are the things that need to be investigated is what's happening. The reality of the moment. Great. Okay. Right. So, we, so that's the way of looking at it is, is that we're going to investigate the wholesome stuff and really get a kick out of how marvelous these things are rather than bringing our own garbage in and then having to investigate the garbage. Once we've taken the garbage out, now we've got a kitchen that we can really cook in.
0: Wow. Well, I'm already getting a kick out of it,
1: so <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs>
0: All right. Thanks, guys.
1: Okay. See Alex, you. we'll see you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Joe, is there anything that we need to finish up on, or is this good no, for you
2: that was that was a long talk so thank you thank you very much i really appreciate Excellent,
1: it joe well yeah. we'll see you later and we'll talk more about some of your future plans
2: okay sure
1: sounds good all right bye-bye thank you so okay, much. okay bye-bye bye